and welcome to the Global Reinsurance and Insurance Download, or GRID for short. The GRID is a podcast powered by Eames Partnership, in which some of the world's top insurance and reinsurance executives discuss the secrets of their success. This month, we're celebrating Pride by bringing together some of the LGBTQ community from within the reinsurance and insurance market and asking them some insightful questions, such as how can companies make themselves more inclusive to this community? whether HR boards should include a specific LGBTQ plus representative and where they stand on the publicly publishing your pronouns debate. I'd like to say a huge thank you to all of our contributors for taking part in this series and thanks in particular to Inclusion at Lloyd's and Link, the LGBTQ plus insurance network for all of their help and support in bringing this podcast together. In our last episode, we tackled the subject of what true inclusion looks like. But for this episode, I wanted to ask about some of the more challenging issues when it comes to LGBTQ+. I've often heard complaints that employers are too quick to lump all members of the community together as one homogenous group and to assume that all of their wants and needs are the same. I'm going to let Aon's customer experience and integration lead Teresa Farrenson kick us off here, as I love their poignant take on the lost learning opportunities from lumping everyone together, which then segues really nicely into some important points about another topic I'm passionate about when it comes to DNI, the importance of intersectionality. Over to you, Teresa. We all want to be treated as an individual and recognised for the things that make us us. Um, and differentiate that from the person sitting next to us who who might be doing a similar role, right? But what you bring is a different perspective and, and different views, um, and and a different backstory, right? And with the LGBTQ plus community, it's probably a lot more obvious, if you, if you know what I mean, that you know. Um, that we're not all the same, but because perhaps a majority of us might look fairly similar, um, you know, you might be forgiven for, you know, lumping us in one group. And and if you do that, then you're not taking the opportunity to um, uh, uh, learn from us, you, the individuals, and to discover what not just the differences but perhaps the similarities unexpected similarities that you can that you can use to you know to ground people and to pull them together um so you know one of those similarities for example and it took me an embarrassingly long amount of time to realize this but when talking to attending a mental health um uh networking event i suddenly realized that people with the, the you know that have mental health d- difficulties come out you know they hide they have shame they you know there's a lot of the feelings that they have and then they you know share with their colleagues and there's a, a degree of uncertainty about oh okay how do we handle that and how do we adapt or you know what do we need to do to support you and you know and all of that journey is is actually remarkably similar to to the LGBT community and and, that, and our coming out process. And I don't think the person that I was speaking to at the time sort of recognised it potentially, you know, as a coming out journey. But I was like, no, it so is. And you know, with that recognition, you know, it can bring the two communities together. I, I remember feeling like when I when I first came across concept of intersectionality, I thought it was about segmenting the diversity groups into ever smaller little chunks of us. 
And I thought, well, that can't be helpful. But what I've realized over time is, yeah, a little bit. But what you then do is use those that improved understanding to bridge the gaps, to recognize shared experiences and to perhaps connect groups in new and interesting ways that they nobody had really felt um, felt, you know, was uh, relevant. So I, I'll give you another example. Um, uh, I was chatting to somebody uh, um, at a, a multicultural event and they were um we were t- they we were talking about being mixed race uh she was mixed race and we were just talking about her experience and and what were the right terms etc and she was like she rolled her eyes and said oh my god in my community there are so many different terms we're all battling over the different terms about what flavor or or shade or your behavior versus you, you know your your external um, um look and and I suddenly had this, I was like, wow, talk to me about the LGBTQ community and the tri- you know, the gender conversation right now, because we've got exactly the same sort of, you know, confusions, terminology, nobody's getting it, you know, there's everybody's got a different idea about, you know, um uh, the, the various concepts, there's no uniformity of language. As soon as you think you've landed on a term that everybody's good with, somebody comes up with another one. And it's, and, we, and again, we had that like light bulb moment of, you know, there are some, you know, in, in an unexpected uh, uh, connection between their experience and, and and our experience. And and hopefully, you know, that can be used to bridge some of those gaps that might not otherwise that you know the why is your experience relevant to me that person probably would never have thought the lgbtq experience would have been relevant to them until we discovered that commonality mic global active underwriter eric johnson was also very vocal about the need to recognize that the experiences of the members of the lgbtq plus community were all going to be completely different and those wishing to be allies needed to be cognizant of that yeah yeah you can't you can't uh, bat, um, lump all non-white people together, just like you can't white uh, lump all white people together because there's diff- there's differences within everybody in every group. So you know, a lesbian is going to have a different experience than a gay man. Um, a bisexual person sometimes, on my experience, sometimes feels like they're sort of left out completely because you know lesbians are like, well, you know, you're on your way to being gay or to being a lesbian, and gay guys might think you're being on your way to being a gay guy. And they're saying, no, I'm, I'm, I'm actually bisexual um, and trans people. And that has its own, its own difference. And when it comes to gender identity is different than sexual orientation. They're trying to say, you know, we, we've addressed our LGBTQ plus constituents. Do, do people even know what that means? Because they, they're all very, very different. They've all got very different uh, sort of backgrounds, characteristics and challenges in society. Eric and I also talked about Teresa's point that terminology and language in this community isn't uniformly agreed and was liable to change over time. We discussed the term queer, which has gone through a huge change in how people understand and use it over the past 20 years. Not even a generation ago, it was predominantly used as a derisive, pejorative term, whereas today it has been reclaimed by those for whom the other definitions under the pride rainbow aren't quite the right fit. Well, it's interesting because I, I, I was on a panel last year and one of the lesbians on the panel said, I don't like the word queer because I, I don't like it. I find that offensive. Um, and I grew up in a, in a time like 
I'm I'm 43, where actually you, you were you were called queer in the school playground when that wasn't in a nice way. Whereas uh, younger people today are embracing the word queer, so it it is di- it's different because you if you know if you if you were my dad he would say can I am can I say this or should can I not say this because I'm I've you know I'm hearing it in ver- used in very different ways. McGill partner and U.S. cyberhead David Anderson took the opportunity to highlight that each community in what he rather charmingly terms the alphabet soup is on a different journey when it comes to acceptance by the wider community. And that this otherness can still manifest itself in some mundane, everyday way for those people. It is, without a doubt, a reality that every member of the alphabet soup, that is the LGBTQIA asterisk plus community, has a different experience. Um, It's very important that people realize that fundamental differences exist, not in a negative way at all, but like healthcare needs mental health care needs, oftentimes housing pressures and income inequality, uh, just family life, right? And what what people's life looks from nine to five versus five to nine, excuse me, from five to nine um, versus nine to five. Everyone has a different experience in life, right? And even in 2022, where you'll have a lot of, you know, well-meaning cisgendered employee or HR lead. I think it's a funny way to place it, but a lot of people who don't have any experience to LGBTQ life experiences will say, well, it's 2022. Like, you know, everyone's accepted and you can get married. Like, what's the issue? And it, and in reality, yes, like there's no denying that life has gotten better for the LGB folks on the front end of the train. But there are challenges still nationally and internationally. I mean, even in America with Texas's, you know, child abuse, transgender bill, right. Or just, just something as fundamental as like knowing which bathroom you're allowed to use or you could use, right. Transgender people, queer, gender, queer people, folks who don't fit into any of this sort of quote unquote accepted labels in 2022 still struggle. They are still struggling. It frustrates me because oftentimes they're left behind uh, in the progress that the that the rest of us have been lucky to achieve, but from an HR perspective, from a coworker perspective, it's just I think it goes back to don't don't assume that you know what someone's going through, and don't don't make assumptions about what's what's going on with that person. If they're transgendered, or if they think they're transgendered and haven't come out, they are going through a very 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 complex and difficult time just just up here in their mind, um, and and. It's important that people understand that that experiences are different, vastly different in, in so many different ways. Adam Triggs, chair of Pride and Allies at Lloyd's, speaks honestly about how, as a white gay man, he's probably got the easiest ride when compared with other members of the community. I think it, it's been helpful over the year to have the term LGBTQ plus, and obviously, you know, even that uh, terminology has changed over the years. But I think the experiences of each of those letters is fundamentally completely different. And it's taken me a while probably to realize and appreciate that even myself. Um, so firstly, I'll call out, you know, I'm a, I'm a gay man. And I would say that the G for gay probably has got the easiest ride of the whole community, uh, particularly white gay men. Um, we make up the majority of ERG network leads. Uh, we're more likely to be openly out to our colleagues. Uh, you know, we're on your TV programs, in your magazines, living fabulous lives. So I think, you know, it's a much easier situation. 
I think you can't compare that at the moment to the challenges of the trans community. Um, so, you know, negative comments in the media, in the press, um, the fact that trans hate crimes and violence are on the up, um, that the government wouldn't outlaw conversion therapy for trans individuals. You've got waiting lists going up uh, on the NHS for gender reassignment support. So actually, as a community, this is a community that needs much more support um, right now than, dare I say, uh, white gay colleagues. So I think it's important to understand that and, and educate yourself on that because uh, what it allows us to do then is think about where we target our efforts. So I know as a, as a resource group, uh, Pride and Allies, uh, our objectives for the year are very much focused around supporting bi and trans issues. So that's thinking about the education and the kind of events that we run on any year. I mean, even for bi colleagues, again, completely different experience to than gay colleagues. Um, we had a, a bi activist that came in and did an event and said quite often the comments are, you know, if you're bi, you're just greedy. Um, you can't make up your mind, you're indecisive. Um, and it's, you know, that's kind of shocking to hear. And it just goes to show that, you know, where then more education and and, uh, role models and profile is needed to really kind of address that that kind of stereotype in the workplace. So you're right, there's, there's real nuances in the LGBT community. Uh, and it's just thinking about how we uh, address each of those issues and support them. As a reminder, this is in 2022. That bi activist experience isn't just shocking, it's utterly appalling. I also wanted to know what other misconceptions or myths well-meaning cisgendered straight employers might be getting wrong that we could use this podcast to highlight. Here's Teresa Farrenson again. Um, it's always amused me, actually, that, that people assume that lesbians and gay men will be best friends. right? <laughs> and it's like, well, when you actually stop to think about it, they've got very little in common. <laughs> so, so why? I mean, as it happened, obviously we have this shared experience of of being othered and and the fear and and etc. Et so there, there are things that that clearly um, do you know experiences that we do share. Um, so one of the other things that I think is common a common error is is the expectation that your LGBTQ plus person has all the answers about their community. Uh, you know, and it's it's almost like, and I know nobody thinks this for real, but but we don't just get like a you know a memory chip inserted like Matrix style, and we suddenly become the guru on all the nuances of all of the flavors of the you know our, our rich communities um, that we can then easily you know be tapped into by the entire organisation is now curious about who you are and what you're about, and oh you can help us figure this out. Um, so I think, you know, especially if somebody's going through the process of coming out, they may not know the answers to even the most simple questions, which is like, well, how can we help you as an organization? They might not, probably it might be as simple as I need to feel safe and I need to know, you know, that you've got my back if anything bad happens, you know, if there are bad comments or whatever. Um, but right now, I'm still trying to deal with it myself. And I, can I come back to you later on that? Um, so, you know, I think there's sometimes with that like over enthusiasm when you finally discover you've got a trans person in, in your organisation that you, you've been wanting one for ages, um, that, you know, that you put so much limelight on them that, you know, that they are, um, you know, that they aren't automatically a guru and will know everything they'll have their opinions but it doesn't necessarily mean they are the de facto opinions of the of 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 all the communities 
MIC Global's Eric Johnson hit on a different frustration, when well-meaning people go out of their way to avoid talking about the fact that he's gay. The painful squirming around avoiding saying the word makes Eric feel uncomfortable, as he explains. Like they're being so vague around their own personal lives that I'm thinking, I don't know what's going on here. I'm not really getting to know you because you're, you're, you're saying partner and you're using very gender neutral terms. And, and, you're, and I don't know that to me feels like I don't know much about you. And it kind of reminds me of when I was younger in the workplace in my 20s. When I, when I did that about, because I didn't want to let anyone know I had a boyfriend. And I remember it was my dad who told me, he said, Eric, if you do that your whole life, if you always say partner and then you, you sort of, uh, and, you're, and you're seeing a them or a they, and you never mention their name even, people think you're hiding something. And your people are just going to think you're strange. And I, I, I was, he was really honest because he goes, I've worked with a, a man who was in the closet his entire career working for me. He worked 26 years. I knew he was gay, but I was not going to out him. I, he had to tell me and he never did tell him. Um, and he and this this man always went on holidays with his friend. And but I've had straight people sort of try to do that to me to try to not make me uncomfortable with the fact that I might be gay and somehow I'm going to be excluded. Whereas I have no problem with says someone said, what does your husband do? Or even someone said to me, Eric, what does your wife do? And I'd say, oh, no, my, my boyfriend does this. Because I'm, I'm comfortable in myself. Another thing for employers to steer clear of is the so-called rainbow washing, where for the month of pride, you stick rainbows over everything to signify your support, but then don't follow it up with purposeful action. Uh, I ended up actually naming my my research project uh, Over the Rainbow. Um, and that wasn't intentioned at the start. And it wasn't kind of a sound of, uh, sorry, Wizard of Oz uh, type uh, analogy. But um, it was because one uh, gay individual actually said, if I see another rainbow arch uh, in my building at Pride Month, I'm going to pop it myself. Um, so, you know, it, it was certainly well intentioned, but it comes back to, the, you know, what's the purpose of this stuff? You can't just put some rainbows on a wall and expect to have an inclusive environment. So people need to see and feel that actually, uh, you know, what the organization is actually doing to support LGBT colleagues. So I think there'll always be a lot of kind of initiatives and well-intentioned things people can do. But it goes back to that question of asking your, your employees about what their actual experience is, because it might deviate from, from what you think it is and what you want it to be. To round off our podcast on a more positive note, I've asked our panelists for good examples of Pride celebration, ones that they found to be particularly impactful. Here's Adam again. So telling stories, um, you know, giving profile to LGBT employees to kind of share their experience. I mean, we've Pride Month, for example, we've run, you know, stories and communications, educating people on what Pride Month is and how it's important. Uh, we got one of our committee members last year to write a story about their experiences of, you know, being gay in the workplace and coming out and what Pride Month means to them. It had the most interaction, the most likes and the most comments of any internal news story last year on our, on our channels. Um, it was just so well received because actually what it did was create a platform for someone to share their story. Uh, someone that people enjoy working with, they all love. Uh, and I think about some of the stuff we've we've done um, that's had particular impact. So role models and how you use those. So, you know, Pride Month, all the big kind of uh, LGBT calendar events, you know, think about how you use role models. But actually, some of the intersectional stuff is quite interesting as well. So we've just done some stuff for International Family Equality Day. So thinking about 
uh, the LGBT community and then thinking about families and parents uh, and actually the the intersectional demands of both. Um, and actually, we run a great event just kind of trying to demystify some of the um, kind of standard family uh, setups that we think about and actually trying to give some visibility to kind of more modern families, dare I say, in terms of what that could look like. The one we're kind of looking at at the moment, so about to launch an LGBT mentoring program across the Lloyd's market. So this is really to try and support and develop the LGBT talent T talent that we've got within the market at the moment, give them access to senior mentors to really kind of help to give them the support they need to develop their careers. So something like that, again, is going to have direct impact uh, to individuals. Those of you in the London market may remember seeing Lynx design a t-shirt competition for Pride last year. For those that missed it, MIC Global's Eric gives us a quick recap and explains why he was pleased to find his initial scepticism was unfounded. Probably the coolest thing that I've seen, and I'm going to be honest, I, I was so skeptical when I saw this come across my desk last year. Um, it was an industry-wide thing. The LGBT Insurance Network had a, a Pride t-shirt design contest. So they got companies across the London insurance market to pay a, a substantial fee. It was thousands of pounds each to enter a contest where they designed their own company-branded inclusive Pride t-shirt. And I remember thinking, well, I'm not sure if my company is going to get involved in that couple grand to design a T-shirt. And it's because probably because I'm not very creative. So I kept thinking, well, our shirt's going to be really boring. And they raised over 20,000 pounds for an LGBT charity. And they probably had 10, 12 companies across the market design these T-shirts. And in some cases, they'd have the CEO of the company wearing their company design pride T-shirt. And it was all over social media. So I thought, okay, one, I think it's cool that they did it to raise money. Two, that so many firms in the market got involved. And three, um, it was sort of just after in the UK, we started up opening up after COVID. They had a, a sort of a prize award giving party at a very nice private members club where they had a drag queen perform. And I remember bringing my American boss to this. I said, you've got to come to this, this Link Pride event. It's going to be fantastic. And I remember her saying, this is the coolest work event I've ever been to in my entire life. <laughs> because it was just so different. Um, and it was so unapologetically sort of queer. And the, the, the support that we got from the industry, I think, was just fantastic. So uh, my skepticism was completely proved wrong. <laughs> But I think that was a really cool way of celebrating pride and involving companies, involving industry. And and it wasn't like companies outsourced the design of these t-shirts. Or it was, you know, it was genuinely designed by staff. So I thought that was pretty cool. McGill's David Anderson had a couple of examples that sprung to mind. One relatively short-term but impactful event, and another which had a much longer lasting effect. So there have been a couple of situations where I was like, this is a really creative way to celebrate LGBTQ history or culture. So my last employer um, did a Pride Month. This was during the pandemic, but I don't discredit it at all. They did like movie nights, right? So we watched um, a couple of movies related to LGBT history, right? Stonewall, excuse me, the movie was really good. Milk was really good. Not everyone joined and that's fine. But to have the opportunity to say, hey, on this date, we're going to have a movie night together. And if you like check the box, we'll send you a little margarita making kit and you can hang out with your coworkers on Zoom or Skype and watch that. 
I think that was a really creative way to keep the spirit of pride in play during the pandemic. Uh, with my current employer, with Magellan Partners, I just like the coolest thing I've ever seen is that they sponsor two LGBT rugby leagues, the Kings Cross Steelers and the Vixens. And I just I, I've never seen that before. So I just think that's really, really cool. Um, and I think that that just like sends a message to the work. Like talk about putting your money where your mouth is. I don't know if you can do better than that. Finally, a lot of people have mentioned that bringing personal stories to life is a great way of celebrating other cultures. So how about taking that to an extreme and not highlighting just one or two people's stories, but generating a whole library's worth? Here's Aeon's Teresa Farrenson with more. Actually, our Polish colleagues did something really, really good uh, last Pride season. They um, they modelled an event based on the concept of human library. Um, and if if your listeners look that up, it's literally humanlibrary.org. Um and the concept is that that humans the the human subjects are books and other people become the readers of those books. But essentially, this is done through the through the medium of conversation. So uh, we had members of the LGBTQ plus community in Aon, um, and we used the um, breakout capability of of your WebExes and your Zooms and whatnot. So and and basically it was. Uh, probably we each had a room and groups of two or three people were sent to our rooms and we just talked, we just chatted with them about what it was our our experience of being us and sharing, you know, personal experience or personal reflections. And it it was it gave the people that came into the room sort of, you know, the the, the safety to ask questions, um, to have those questions, you know, being like. Uh, not being, you know, they're just honest and open questions about I don't get this, please to explain. Uh and and for you know those of us that were being the books to to respond um as we you know saw fit. And obviously, you know, there was it was an open-hearted, open minds type interaction. And it was exhausting and exhilarating. All it all at once, but we also got some just amazing feedback from the people who who were just able. They they it was almost like speed dating. They probably did two or three back to back, and and just having the opportunity to chat with people um, about their experience or just to say I don't I don't get this thing. Can you help me understand this thing? Why do you feel this way or whatever? I think you know just just cracked it open for some people in a way that they previously hadn't been able to have that like one-to-one dialogue with somebody about their lives because previously perhaps all they'd been at, at is diversity events where you know even if they bothered to attend diversity events but whether they were taught sort of talked at, at by a panel and didn't get to ask those those questions and they wouldn't have felt comfortable asking questions in that perhaps that open forum that you you might have that's all we have time for in this episode I hope you found it useful and please don't forget to look out for the final episode in this Pride series where we ask whether having an LGBTQ plus representative on your HR board could aid improved inclusion and explore whether everyone, regardless of their sexual preference, should be public with their pronouns. Until then, please do forward this to any colleagues, friends or bosses you think would enjoy it and thank you for listening.